All right, folks, we're going to be singing page 156. You can remain seated just for a moment. You've been hearing the song played here. And uh, this is a song. We sang it once before, but years ago. How many of you are familiar with page 156? Christ returneth. Anybody? Got one? All right. How many of you were paying attention to the tune as she was playing it now? How many of you wished you would have? <laughs> Should have told you to, right? Shame, shame on me. Okay, this is a unique song. I don't know how many of you are familiar with sheet music, but you can see at the beginning, it's a 3-4 and a 4-4 at the same time, which means it gets super tricky. There's lots of places to hold. There's times where we get quiet. There's times where we get loud. And then there's times where I just get excited and you have to try to keep up. It's... it's <laughs> It's an interesting song, but it tells a great story. So we are going to stand. We are going to sing it together. And uh, please, on the first verse, I know any new song, you're just trying to get the rhythm and the feel of it. No problems. I'll do my best to sing as good and as loud as I can for you. And then by the second verse, you, let's build some momentum. By the end, you really go full force. On the chorus, we have another song wherein, remember that song, Up From the Grave He Arose? We, we go real quiet for a little while. It builds up and then we really bring it home. That's how the chorus is. Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long Ere we shout the glad song Christ return. And then you really give it, really, really give it, right? We're asking the Lord how long and we want to make sure he hears us. So we really... Okay, then by the time you get to hallelujah, hallelujah, amen, then it dies down again. Hallelujah, amen. It's nice and quiet. And then you go back to, so a little tricky. Lots of fun. Let's all stand. Let's give it a shot. Page 156, Christ returneth. It may be at morn when the day is awaking, when sunlight through darkness and shadow is breaking, that Jesus will come in the fullness of glory, receive from us.
doing it. I can't see the songbook and you at the same time. So did you enjoy that? Was anybody smiling? Okay, I couldn't tell. I could hear it. You guys sounded real, real fine. By the end there, you did figure it out. All right, just a few announcements for you this morning. I want to quickly remind you all again one more time. I won't do this too many weeks uh, from now, but we still have our membership registration forms. If any of you are interested to become a member, we're going to leave these on the communion table once again. Please feel free to grab one seat if you don't mind. Grab one off the table. You can fill it out and just drop it into one of the offering bags before you go. We'd appreciate that. If you have any questions, please feel free to uh, find me and ask anything you like. Also, you know that we did have a church bride scheduled for this afternoon for a number of reasons. Um, the foremost uh, was, was health reasons, but for some other reasons as well, we decided to postpone that. So we are going to reschedule uh, in the near future, as soon as possible, so that hopefully in the next month or two we'll have that bride. Uh, that being said, please, I, I know there are some health reasons, and there's a couple people in church that uh, have come down with COVID, and they're doing their thing, being quarantined and so forth, and there's a flu or flus going around, potch, so just please be smart about that, but obviously fellowship at your own discretion. Uh, we as a church need to make these decisions, but you as individuals, you know how to manage that at your own home, so please feel free to continue to fellowship with each other. This past week, we did not have small group. Again, that was a lot for, because of me and my health issues. Francois, is, uh, he is getting over COVID at the moment. So we, we had to cancel the small groups for those reasons. We plan to this week have small groups, but just keep watching the, the WhatsApp 
groups just in case that changes, but we would like to move forward with that. Also, tonight is the final night of Bible school for about five or six weeks. We're going to take, this is our mid-year break, uh, so come mid-July we will start classes again. But just so that you know, tonight we do have the Gospel of John. We're going to finish chapter 10. Anybody's welcome to tune in for that, by the way, by a live stream. Uh, we, we appreciate you being a part of that. But in the weeks to follow, in lieu of Bible school, we will still have a Sunday evening service. I'll be doing a series of different lessons. We're going to have a question and answer time in there. So this will be for the adults. We'll also try to do one for the youth in there. So just be maybe thinking of Bible questions that you would like to have answered. You can start sending them to me, and we'll make that a part of the, uh, of the uh, special Q&A. And then also, thank you all of you that have been praying for my health. I received the results from all the testing that was done. And unfortunately, it is what I thought it would be. The doctors found no answers, uh, which is nice in, in that the thing that they thought it was, which it would have been pretty bad, it wasn't that. But now we're still left with a question mark as to what is it? So the problem with my eyes still exists and you might see me today going off and on with the glasses. Every day is different. Some days I need glasses to see far off. Some days I, I don't know what's going on with that. So this has also brought with it a, a series of complications. Guys, this, this week was a hectic week for a number of reasons. You know that Christina and Amy, most of you know, they're in America now. They will be for about a month. Uh, this is grandbaby number two is coming into the world, Lord willing, in a few weeks. So they are there to assist with that. And uh, it was a busy week because of that and some other stuff. I am in desperate need of a break. So this coming week, please feel free to message and, and, and call if I ignore you, though. <laughs> it's nothing personal. I... I want you to feel free to do so because I will eventually look at the messages, but I need a few days just to catch my breath. I'm confident that if I can get some rest, I'll get back on my feet. I'm still just a bit wobbly in the knee because of that, but I, I'm very happy even today. This is a lot more voice than I've had in a while, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, don't want to overdo it. I probably just did with the song. <laughs> How long, how long? <laughs> Amen. All right, that's all I got for announcements, and it's time to sing another song. So, brother, you come and lead us.
during the week and catch a break from other time. Five or four, we buy five. open our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, please. 2 Thessalonians 1. And today we are going to begin going through 2 Thessalonians verse by verse for the next few Sunday mornings. We will be traveling through this book, seeing all that it has to offer. And if I could give a title to the book as a whole, a preaching title to it, I would call it a tutorial on tribulations. A tutorial on tribulations. That is most definitely the theme of this book. Paul will focus greatly on the second coming of Christ, as you'll see in the first two chapters especially. However, the greater theme, the reason he focuses on the second coming of Christ so much is because it is directly linked to tribulations. And I'm speaking now, tribulation, not as the prophetical time frame, the seven years after the rapture, although chapter 2 does focus on that, but tribulations as they pertain to just the troubles of everyday life. And specifically in this epistle, the troubles that come about with persecution for the faith. 
So in chapter 1, there's more of a personal look at how tribulations affect us personally and what God is going to do about them and what God does with them in our lives. In chapter 2, there's more of a prophetical look. Now, even in these first two chapters, there is some overlap. It's more personal in chapter 1, but there is some prophecy. In chapter 2, it's more prophetical, but there is some personal aspect to it, especially at the end of the chapter. And then in chapter 3, it turns very practical. There are many troubles that we bring on ourselves. Amen. So chapter 3 tells us how to deal with those, how to avoid those, and how to deal with them in other people's lives as well. Now, in 2 Thessalonians, obviously this is a follow-up to 1 Thessalonians. Paul realizes that this church, they have suffered greatly. Paul started off with them in Acts chapter 17. He spent three weeks there going into the synagogue, opening the scriptures, and the Bible says opening and alleging that Jesus is Christ, that, that he is the Messiah. After only three weeks, this church was started. So many people had gotten saved. Uh, they, they needed each other. They had to stick together because the rest of the society around them were violently hateful towards these people. It is what the modern day world would call hate crimes. Amen. But rather than the early church there at Thessalonia, or Thessalonica running off to the government and demanding reparations, they took their concerns to God. And they said, God, the world is not treating us fairly, but we want to stay faithful. Help us, Lord. Protect us. Help us to stay together. And they did. So therefore, in the first epistle to the Thessalonians, Paul really doesn't rebuke them hardly at all, if at all. Much of it is written to encourage them and teach them how to get through those troublesome times. And then in chapter 2, or 2 uh, second, second Thessalonians, rather, things had gotten even worse. So now Paul has to write to them again, both to encourage and explain some things about tribulations. So with that being said, before we get into verse 1, let's go ahead and bow our heads together and pray. Father, please help us this morning as we take a look at the Scripture we desire to learn. And Lord, we, all of us, troubles are just part of life. And we need to learn about your perspective, how you want us to view these things. Lord, we want to learn today how you use these things in our lives and Father, what one day you're going to do about these things. We want to be prepared for that. Please guide us now as we go through this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as you can see on your outline that you should have, the title of today's sermon is Tribulations Work. They serve a purpose. They get a job done. And we're going to look at three things that they get done. So verse number one, the Bible says, Paul and Silvanus. Silvanus is the long way of saying Silas, in case you're more familiar with that name. Uh, my name is Michael, but very few people call me Michael. Please don't. It makes, it just, there's nothing wrong with Michael. We have several Michaels in the church. You can be Michael. I'll be Mike. <laughs> Not even my dad calls me Michael. It's just, I, anyway. So Silvanus maybe Silas, and Timotheus, that's the long version of Timothy, unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very common greeting and opening. You find this in almost all of Paul's epistles. We're not going to spend a long time talking about it. I do want to make mention, though, of what he says in verse 2. This was Paul's practice. He would say, grace unto you, peace unto you. 
Why start off in that way? All of us need more grace. All of us need more peace. What is grace? There's many ways that you can understand it and explain it. I think in the way Paul's using it here, it's meant to be this. May God give you strength. May God give you strength. It is the strength you need to do what God's asking you to do. And you cannot do those things in your own strength. Think of it like this, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So when He gives you the strength to do what you need to do, that is God's grace at work. So no matter what the challenge is, if somebody's persecuting you, trying to kill you for your faith, somebody's making fun of you because you're a Christian, or if it's just one of life's challenges, just the normal trouble that comes with being human, you need grace. And then he says, peace from God our Father. Who doesn't need more peace in their hearts, in their lives? Peace with God, peace with each other. One of the greatest things that God can ever give you is the peace that passes all understanding. It keeps your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And in the world in which we live, it's very easy to lose your mind. It's very easy for the troubles of this life to swallow you up and get you panicked and worried. But if you think about this, no matter what storm is blowing in your life, no matter what winds and waves are threatening to knock you off course, if you can hear the Master saying in your heart, peace, be still, you can make it through that storm. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So even though it is a common greeting, still very important. In verses 3 and 4, we'll find our first point. If you want to write it down on your paper, you're more than welcome. Tribulations turn to righteousness. Tribulations turn to righteousness. What I mean by that is God will use the trouble that is currently going on in your life, persecution or otherwise, to make a more righteous you. He will use these things to mold you more into His image. If I can ask you to hold your, your place in Thessalonians, obviously we'll keep coming back to it. Look in Romans chapter 5 at the same time. Romans chapter 5. We'll read a couple verses in Thessalonians and then we'll turn over to Romans 5. Tribulations turn to righteousness. How many times have you prayed, God, help me to grow as a Christian? You ever prayed that? Have you ever said, God, I'd like to learn more about you? I'd like to learn more about faith. Help me, God, to love my brothers and sisters, my neighbors. Help me to love uh, my enemies. God, I'd like to grow in knowledge. I'd like to grow in grace, grow in love. God, help me in these ways. Did you know that many times the answer to that prayer comes in the form of trouble? God says, okay, you want a chance to love somebody? Somebody else is in trouble. Now go love them. Uh, God, help me increase my faith. That's what the disciples prayed in Luke 17. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Okay, you want more faith? I'll give you more problems that require faith. Because listen, if everything always went okay, when would you ever need to exercise faith? When would you turn to God in prayer? You would have it handled. So many times the answer to the prayer of God, help me to grow, help me to become more like you, God says, okay. Then I'm going to stand just a little bit back. I'm right here if you need me. I'm going to stand back just a little bit and some tribulations are going to come your way. 
In, in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 3 and 4, we read, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. He didn't say that their, their faith grows. Their faith grows exceedingly. Why? This church was persecuted every time they breathed. Problems all day, every day, everywhere they turned. And as a result, it doesn't say their faith grew, does it? When Paul's writing that, he writes it in the present tense. Your faith grows. This was still happening with them. He says, because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. He didn't say you just love each other. He said you abound with love. When I hear about you guys, when I visit you guys, all I hear about is how this guy's helping that guy and that person's concerned with that person. He said this, this is tremendous. This is the way Christianity was supposed to be. Faith growing, love abounding. Verse 4, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. As Paul would go to other churches, he would brag about these guys. He would tell their stories and go, you got to hear what God's doing in Thessalonica. Man, they're going through a tough time, but listen to how they have patiently handled it. Listen to how they have pulled together through this tough time and how God has used these troubles in their lives. Don't you know that their story encouraged so many other churches in so many other places? In Romans chapter 5, would you read with me in verses 3 to 5? It's on your paper, but I'd also like for you to see it in your Bibles. Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Paul is talking about tribulations in the passage. He says, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. We glory in them. Do you notice that? Do you know what it means to glory in something? When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about how great He is. It's the greatness of something. We glory in tribulations. Here's a bucket load of problems. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> great not our typical response unless you step back and really look at the big picture not only so but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation does what works do you see that tribulations work there's the title of my sermon <laughs> tribulations work that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. You'll never be disappointed that you waited on God. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Wouldn't it be nice this morning for the Holy Spirit to move, to stir in your heart, and remind you in no uncertain terms of how much God loves you? Wouldn't you like that? You know where it starts? Tribulation. Patience. Experience. Hope. And then once you've seen God fulfill those expectations, the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear and says, now you see how much we love you? Even though these things were going on, we never left. We never forsook you. We helped you each step of the way. We'll never let you down. You'll never be disappointed that you waited on God. Tribulations are a very powerful tool to teach us so many things say brother mike i'd like to learn more about prayer well 
In order to learn about prayer, there needs to be something to pray about. The disciples in Mark chapter 4, they got into the boat with Jesus. Jesus is taking a nap, a well-deserved nap, mind you. He needed it. Physically speaking, he was tired. But while he is sleeping, a storm begins to kick up and whip about, and the boat is taking on water, and the disciples, experienced fishermen, think, that's it, we are going to die. They wake Jesus up, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus brushes the sleep from his eye, stands on the edge of the boat. This is just me painting the picture. I don't know if he did that part. And then he says to the waters, Peace, be still. And the waters calm. The winds calm down. You know what the disciples said after that? What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They learned something about Jesus that day. They already knew. They were convinced he was the Son of God. They knew he was the Messiah. They had that straight. But they added to their knowledge that day something about Jesus. They got to know him better. They said, now we knew he was great. We didn't know he was this great. We didn't know that that is something that we could pray about. All we had to do was take our cares, our burdens, our concerns, the things that were scaring us and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, Master, please don't you care. And Jesus would say, listen, calm down. Wind, waves, calm down, you're fine. It sounds strange and almost ironic to say they were blown away. (laughs) Because they thought they were going to be blown away, but in a different way. They were blown away at what the Lord could do in their prayer lives. You as well. When these tribulations come, it's an opportunity for you to learn something about your Savior, to learn how much He cares. Without these problems, there's no need to exercise faith or apply the promises of God. You see, back in the day when when I was in Bible school, I had three vehicles. The reason I had three is not because I had any money. It's because none of them worked. (laughs) (laughs) I became very... I am not a mechanic by any stretch of the imagination, but I became very familiar with a book called Haynes Service and Repair Manual. How many of you know that book? A couple of you do. There's, there's the mechanics in the room right there. Now, I, I had, for each car that I owned, I had the particular Haynes repair manual for it. And every day I'd come home from work, I'd have 30 minutes before I'd have to leave for Bible school. I spent those 30 minutes doing three things. I was studying for my exam for Bible school that night because we had one every night. So my wife was reading me my exam notes <laughs> while I'm underneath the car And I got the Haynes book that I'm looking, going, okay, I fix it like this, turn this, take this off, and I'm eating. So I got a wrench in one hand, a sandwich in the other, and I'm eating and answering Bible questions at the same time. It was a little bit of a hectic time. And I became very familiar with those repair manuals. Now, since I've gotten here, uh, and and I will say, it's not just because of of my schedule now or my abilities. The cars now are all computerized. I am, that's so far beyond me. You got to have all these special tools. I just leave it to the experts. But as long as I could do something about it, I'd grab that manual and I'd start learning about cars. Back in the day, I could actually do some work on cars. I'd go to my friend's house and put new brake pads on and run new brake lines. And, you know, I'd change uh, the transmissions. I was getting pretty good at this stuff. I got good with the manuals. Why? Because my cars kept breaking down. I got real good with the manual because the car kept breaking down. 
Lord, increase my faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Something breaks down in your life. Oh, dear. Let me pull out my Haynes manual. <laughs> Lord, where's that? Don't you wish it came with pictures? <laughs> Amen. You, you can get one of those kids' Bible with pictures, right? Sometimes that had little pop-ups. <laughs> hey, that's what I'm going through. There's Goliath. <laughs> But the more that stuff breaks, the more you have to search the manual for how to fix it, the more you learn about this is God's promise for this problem. Yeah. And another problem happens. Okay, well, I'm going to get to learn about five or six new promises. And I get to see God do more and more. When tribulation happens, you know it gives us as a, as a, as a body, as, a, and as an assembly, as a church, it gives us a chance to love each other. If everything's always going fine, we can still enjoy each other's fellowship and company and spend time together but when somebody's going through a tough time it gives us a great opportunity to show that person that family just how much we care if you're going through something I understand sometimes it's difficult to get out of your comfort zone and say please can somebody help but we want you to know that we'd like to help we don't take that as you being a burden that's not you screaming for pity, nothing like that. We want to help. We want to be there for you. Let us be a part of your lives. As I've been going through these health troubles, and it's not just these couple of weeks, but in the last few years, you guys have stepped up constantly. Your kindness has blown me away. When you heard that Christina was stepping away for a few weeks, for her to have a well-deserved break, my goodness, she's never had this opportunity. I'm so happy for her. But I can't tell you, I, I literally lost count of how many people said, Pastor, while you're alone, if you need anything, just let us know. I don't have to do laundry or dishes or cook or clean. <laughs> I mean, I got people that will do all, all of it. And I don't plan to, to push all those buttons. I'm just saying, you guys are so generous. This, a couple weeks ago when I had to go to the hospital, Brother Ashbad from Malawi contacted me. And uh, trying to get some books and tracks sent up to him. And I said, listen, I can't do it right now because I'm, I'm being admitted to hospital. He said, oh, Buana, I'm so sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. He said, yet again. I said, yeah, again. He said, okay, we're praying. Now, that's a very nice thing to say. But when Ashbad says it, he means something a little different. When he says we are praying, he contacted me the next night. He said, okay, the whole church is coming together. We're going to stay up all night, overnight prayer meeting just for you. How loved do you think I feel? You see, it's those tribulations that allow us to abound in love to one another. It gives us those chances. It's that, it's that Jew that's traveling through, uh, through various cities and, he's, and he gets attacked and he's left for dead on the side of the road and the Levite passes by and the Jew passes by, but then a Samaritan passes by. If that man had not been beat up and left for dead that Samaritan doesn't have a chance to show him just how much he cares now do we rejoice that the man was beat up no we, we don't say oh praise God you got beat up that's we're not glad for that but we can say well now I have a chance to show you just how much I care if you're in second Thessalonians chapter one you see what Paul says in verse three we are bound to thank God Verse 4, we glory in you. Man, this is great. We thank God you're going through all this. <laughs> well, that sounds a little strange until you understand the greater context. We're glad, not that you're just having trouble, 
but we are glad to see how God is using this trouble in your life. We're glad to see that you have the right attitude about the trouble. Rather than seeing it as a reason to quit, you're using it as motivation to grow and go further in your love towards each other. In uh, verse 5, we see our second point. Point number two, tribulations are a token of righteousness. Tribulations, they turn to righteousness. This is true. They, turn, they bring that about in your life. But tribulations are a token of righteousness. In verse 5, the Bible says, which is a manifest token, speaking of the persecutions, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Can I ask you to hold your place here and get the book of Acts chapter 14? Handelinger. The book of Acts chapter 14 and verse number 22. The question most certainly came up in the Thessalonians' mind. And anybody, any group suffering severe persecution would be tempted to ask the same thing. Why, God, are you allowing this? How is this right? We are your people. We love you. We worship you. We're trying to serve you. We're trying to do right. And yet, all we're getting for it is problems, persecution, pain, suffering, hatred, people mocking us, laughing us. They, I've lost my job. My wife left me. All these problems simply because I'm trying to be a Christian because I'm trying to follow Christ, because I got saved. Now, God, is that fair? Why are you allowing this? And Paul reminds them, guys, this is a manifest token. All these problems going on in your life, the enemy, the outside world, they look at what's happening to that suffering Christian and they go, you really think God cares about you? Look at what God's allowing you to go through. How does this spell God loves me? How can you possibly think that or say that? That's the world's opinion of what's happening. Paul says, we look at it a little differently. We see this as evidence that you are, in fact, following God. Why? Because the disciple is not above his Lord. The servant is not above his master. If they did these things to Jesus, then what is the evidence we're following Jesus? The world is going to treat us the same way they treated him. So in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, this is a different church that Paul's addressing, but it brings about the same point. These folks as well, they're in Galatia. They were suffering for their faith. Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. He says, guys, you know the end, the end result here. Now that you're saved, one day you will be in the kingdom with, with the Lord. When Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom on the earth, you will be a part of that. If you serve God faithfully now, you'll have authority over ten cities or five cities. You'll have a position of, of, of prominence in that kingdom. So stick with it. Hang in there. Why would God allow this? He's preparing you for that kingdom. If God stepped in and fixed all of your problems now and made your life exactly the way you wanted to be now, promoted you, prospered you, and everything went well now, you'd have your kingdom now. 
then you wouldn't have anything to look forward to then. The reward would already be here. But as it stands in the world the way it is, this sinful, dark, perverse, crooked world, don't expect to be promoted under this world system. We need a new manager to come in. and We need a new king to come in. The king of kings to come and set up his system. And under his system, you'll receive that promotion that you do deserve. But in the meantime, God says, as a follower of my son, the things that happen to him are going to likewise happen to you. And these things allow you to earn that place in the kingdom. Come to Romans chapter 8. God is not going to reward you with crowns, whether they be the crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of glory, the crown of life. Those incorruptible crowns are not free. You must earn them. The, the reward of the inheritance, we read about that in Colossians 3. The Bible says you receive that for serving the Lord Christ. It is not free. The sufferings that you endure earn you those rewards. They eventually pay off very highly. Romans 8 and verse number, verse number 18. The Bible says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time are a very real thing. Just make sure you don't get discouraged thinking God must hate me. That's why He's allowing this to happen. Much the opposite. This is your opportunity to show God just how much He means to you. And in due time, that work will be rewarded. This little saying, if I can please get this into your head and into your heart, you cannot expect a crown without a cross. No cross, no crown. No cross, no crown. You cannot experience the joy and the power of a resurrection if you do not first experience the pain and suffering of a burial there must be death there must be burial before you can ever have the joy of a resurrection likewise the joy of the world to come the kingdom eternity new jerusalem all of that joy all of those rewards you cannot achieve that if there's no pain suffering tribulations problems now no cross no crown this What's happening in the Thessalonians' life is evidence that they're on the right path. Now look at the sufferings and the problems that you're enduring right now and just ask yourself, is this happening to me because, because I brought it on myself, my poor decisions? If so, you need to have a certain attitude about that, an attitude of humility, an attitude of apology to say, God, I was wrong and thank you for correcting my mistake. But if, if you're finding these problems for righteousness sake isn't that what jesus said in matthew chapter 5 sermon on the mount blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake i was trying to do right and yet all i received was pain and suffering for it jesus says leap for joy in that day leap for joy because this is evidence that you're doing it right this is what God's people have always received from the world. Dr. Ruckman used to tell us, you cannot do right and get away with it. <laughs> Think about that. You can't do wrong and get away with it. God will punish you. You can't do right and get away with it. The world will punish you. Now, either way you go, you're looking for problems. 
it all, de- it all depends on who you want the problems from. <laughs> you want it to be God punishing you or the world? Should it be God or the devil? Because either way you go, as long as you're in this world, there's going to be problems. But if you're receiving those problems for the sake of righteousness, that can give you great joy. It's evidence that you did something right. I received word just a few days ago, a young man that was in our church for a short while. His wife was actually in our church for a lot longer. They married, and then they moved off to the UK. And that man has remained a faithful Christian. He stands for Christ. He speaks up for Christ. He has a a, a fairly good job there. Everybody else, though, has more experience and more time on the job, so he's kind of bottom of the, you know, the rung, bottom rung of the ladder. But he is the only Christian in his workplace. Now, this guy is not a frail guy. He's a manly man. But they make fun of him so ardently, so continuously, only because he's a Christian, that he comes home in tears many times. And then tells his wife, here's what they're saying about me. It's not because he does a bad job. It's not because he's, he's foolish or silly or unintelligent. He's, he's well-grounded. He knows what he's doing, a hard worker. But simply because he named the name of Christ, they will not leave him alone. And yet he will not give up the name of Christ. He continues to stand for it. Now, as much as that hurts, and I hate to hear that about him, what I want to tell him is, listen, This is evidence you're doing something right. They also wouldn't leave Christ alone. They also didn't leave Peter and James and John and the apostles, the disciples throughout the New Testament, throughout church history. This is always how it's been. Tribulations work. They work. They work as evidence. They work as tools to shape you. Thirdly, and beginning in verse number six, I want to say this. Tribulations will be recompensed. Tribulations will be recompensed. Tribulations work. They get the job done. Say, but what about the enemy? What about the world? What about these people that are causing the problems and doing the persecuting? What is God going to do about that? One day God's going to work on them too. Verse number six, Paul says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. You reap what you sow. Recompense is a big word for repay. So they are causing you trouble. One day God is going to give them trouble. You you brought about trouble. Okay, you sowed trouble, you'll reap trouble. Verse 7, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. Now, the reason Paul says this, because while the injustice is happening to you, you start to ask, God, this isn't fair. It, it, It really makes you angry inside. It gets you bitter gets you stirred up you can't sleep at night because ooh, I just want to balance things out this person's not treating me right I want to report them to this I want to take these steps I want to I want to fight back and sometimes listen sometimes you do need to stand up for yourself you can't just be a doormat and allow yourself to be cheated there are certain things you can do but but when they're persecuting you for the sake of Christ you can't compromise that So Paul says, guys, you can rest in this knowledge. This might give you a little bit of peace in your heart, knowing that even though you can't fight back, they're slapping you, they're making fun of you, you're not going to return that same same attitude, those same actions. You're not going to do that back to them. So let God do it. Verse 7, to you who are troubled, rest with us. 
when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. He says, guys, at least rest in this knowledge, that even though right now God isn't stepping in and punishing them, one day he will. One day God will make these wrongs right. This keeps us out of being vigilantes. It does. I don't know if any of you have ever had the urge to be a vigilante. I watch too many cartoons, so Batman, you know, those kind of stories, Daredevil, those kind of stories, I keep thinking, yes, God, just teach me the right skills and I'll go about town making wrongs right. I'll help people. That's, that's not the right way to handle it. This is not an endorsement for vigilantism. Don't do that. I'm just telling you it's the human urge. It's the human urge. I want to make it right. And God says, no, no, wait, let me make it right. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will recompense. I will repay, saith the Lord. That's not your job. That's mine, he says. Now, you just rest. You just wait. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. In due time, God will make right those wrongs. Now, when Paul talks about God making it right, he brings their attention to the second coming of Christ. This isn't the rapture. This is what we call the second coming. When Jesus comes back from heaven, he's going to come all the way to the earth in flaming fire and destroy the enemy. This event is spoken of throughout the Bible. The first one to mention it was Enoch. The very first preacher in the Bible was Enoch. And we actually know what Enoch said about it. The Bible says in in the book of Jude, we have the quote, that the Lord is going to come with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all the ungodly. And he goes on and on about how the Lord is going to come back and punish the wicked. From the very beginning of the Bible, focus has been on this event. Jesus even said, I've given you the verse on your paper, Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. Speaking of this future time, for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, that statement may not hit you that hard unless you are acquainted with the history of war. Unless you know the atrocities that mankind has played out against each other and what's gone on through the ages For Jesus to say, you haven't seen anything yet, it's going to get a lot worse. This is why we refer to the time after the rapture as the tribulation time. We give it that proper name because Jesus says there's going to be great tribulation. This is what the wicked have to look forward to. Indulge me just for a moment. I am going to give you, in just a few minutes, the entire book of Revelation. In the near future, a one-world government is going to be formed and bring about a massive disarmament movement. The nations of the world will put down their arms and there will be world peace. This will seem great. The world will be very excited, but it will be short-lived because very quickly, World War, what we would now say World War III, is going to break out. And the destruction that comes from this war will be unmatched. 
Never before in history will you know destruction on this level. As a result of this massive war, worldwide famine is going to follow. Along with this famine, we read that a fourth of the world's population will perish. That is approximately one and a half billion people. Approximately, maybe upwards of two billion people. They die because of the war, because of the famine, because of disease. The Bible even says the animals are not going to be right in this time. Nature is going to go a bit crazy and the animals will be attacking people as well. On top of all of this, a worldwide persecution is going to break out against all believers. By this point, if you're saved this morning, you will have already been taken to heaven. You will not physically see this down on the earth. But this is what's going to happen to those that know not God and obey not the gospel. They enter into this time. This is the punishment. This is where God says, for centuries I've put up with you treating my people wrong. I have removed them from this and now I'm going to show you exactly how, how hot my wrath can burn. Worldwide persecution will break out. These are for people that will become believers after the rapture. They will be hunted all over the world. They will be killed when they are found. After this, one-third of the trees and of the grass is going to be burned up. Ecological events are going to happen. People think global warming is a problem now. <laughs> one-third of the oceans will turn to blood. One-third of the rivers will be poisoned. If anybody drinks of that water, they will die. The sun, the moon, and the stars will not be able to shine for a third of the day. So let's say they have 12 hours of light that they produce. In this time, they will only shine for a third of that, so eight hours only. As this is going on, demonic locusts are unleashed out of the bottomless pit. They sting men, and when they sting them, men will desire to die, but they won't be able to. They will suffer for five months of pain and an agony unknown to man before this time. Followed by this is demonic horses being unleashed. They have heads like lions and tails like snakes. Obviously a spiritual creature, but the fire that, that is coming from their mouth kills one-third of the rest of Earth's population. Maybe another billion people die as a result of this pestilence and plague that comes from them. It's at this time, right about this time, that the Antichrist is going to be assassinated. When he rises from the dead by miracle of the devil, he will then turn his attention against Israel and seek to destroy them. The Bible says that two-thirds of all the Jews in the world will die. This is also accompanied by the mark of the beast being implemented. Those of you that are worried about somehow being implanted with a chip now, that is not happening now. It cannot happen now. We have to have the beast, the Antichrist, in order for the mark of the beast to have any effect. But it will be in effect at that time. Without that mark, you cannot buy or sell. And again, you will be counted an enemy of the state because you do not follow that man. Things will get progressively worse until the time of the end. And at the end, a horrible plague is going to break out. Anybody that has the mark, a pestilence will fall on them. A horrible pestilence that eats through the skin. After this time, all of the fresh water on earth turns to blood. 
And even the angels say, God, do you see what you're doing to the people? He says, they have been shedding the blood of my people for centuries. They wanted blood. I'm giving them blood. That's why tribulations will be recompensed. God says, I've been putting up with it for a while, no longer. It's at this time as well, the intensity of the sun is going to be magnified. Men are going to be scorched. Just walking outside in the sunlight will burn you tremendously. And at the same time, darkness will cover the earth, strangely enough. The sun is still shining, but when you go inside to hide from the sun, because that's what you'll have to do, and you turn on the light switch, es, es come. <laughs> yeah, South Africa won't be affected, evidently. <laughs> We know how to roll with that, but the rest of the world, esh, esh, no lights, esh, 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 esh. What's wrong? What's wrong? It's right at that time, the Bible says in Revelation 16, that the world figures out, wait a minute, wait a minute, we think God's doing this. Why? Because, oh, there's only about 16 or 17 things that have been fulfilled precisely the way the Bible says that they would be fulfilled. Maybe it's true that God is doing this to us. So rather than say, God, we're sorry, the Bible says they will not repent of their sorceries, of their fornications, of their murders. Rather, they will come together in an unprecedented way. They will join forces. The armies of all the world will come together to fight against the Lamb. They will acknowledge that Jesus is real and they will prepare not to repent, but to fight. Here they are standing on the earth with their bombs and their guns and their nuclear warheads. And here comes Jesus riding on a white horse and you and I following along with him also riding on white horses. A sharp sword proceeding out of his mouth. Here we come to fight the battle of Armageddon and the men of earth Pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew, pew. The Bible says that as we come down, the earth begins to shake. Earthquakes like the world has never heard of. Mountains will crumble. Islands will fall into the sea. There are going to be hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, all over the world. You actually read about this in the book of Jeremiah. Specifically, it's prophesied whirlwinds are going to destroy much of the world. Fiery hail will fall from heaven. You might call it a firebomb because each stone of hail weighs approximately 20 to 30 kgs as it falls from heaven onto the heads of the wicked. We are coming down at such a pace. We are zipping through the heavens so quickly but the Bible says the stars begin to fall and the heavens are rolled together as a scroll in our jet wash. This is what the wicked are looking forward to. They think that they have a chance to overcome in this war. The Bible says in Revelation 6 that as we're coming down, earth shakes, heavens are rolled together, stars are falling, the kings and the captains of the world will run into the mountains and beg and plate, say, please let the mountains fall on us. We'd rather have that than meet the Lamb in His anger. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. That's how bad things are going to be. So why would God do this? Let me draw your attention to verse number uh, 8 again. 
in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when it comes to the Lord, you're either with Him or against Him. If you today walk away saying, I do not believe that Jesus died for my sins. I do not believe that He is able to save me. I will try to live my life my way. That does not mean that you're neutral. You cannot say, well, I don't care about Jesus. I don't, I, I'm not against Him. I'm not for Him. I just leave Him over there. There is no such thing. You're with Him or you're against Him. That's, that's not my opinion of it. That's what Jesus says. You're either with Him or you're against Him. You have to choose sides. Because if you're going to say, I don't believe Jesus is who He says He was. I don't think He's the Savior. You are siding with the world. You are supporting their cause. You are in essence saying, I'm with this crowd. I think it's right to do what they're doing. I think it's okay to persecute and hate and, and, and. God obviously does not want to bring about this punishment and this judgment. That's why He wants people to hear the gospel and to hear the love of the truth. Amen. Chapter 2 and verse number 10. Would you look at it with me? With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's God's desire. He wants you to hear about how much He loves you. He wants to bring you into His family so that you're not on the wrong end of all of those horrible things that we just mentioned. What we would desire to see is what we read about in verse 10. When He shall become to be glorified in the saints and to be admired in all them that believe. After Jesus fights the battle of Armageddon, the Bible talks about Him stomping on the enemy. In the winepress of God's wrath, the blood runs as high as the horse's bridles. The battle is done. The enemy has been squashed, put down. Jesus makes His way to Jerusalem. And here He is, the King of kings, called faithful and true, and in righteousness He doth judge and make war. And we see Him start to approach the throne of His Father David. And He's walking up the steps towards that throne, and you and I, we all gather around that blessed temple. And we see our captain of our salvation approaching the throne that he so rightly deserves. And the Bible describes this event where we begin to admire him. We begin to look on him, the one we've been waiting to see, the one that, that, that maybe today we get to see, and there he goes to, towards that throne where he's going to sit and, and reign as king of kings. And finally, what the world's been after for so long, true, real peace. He will create an environment in the world where everybody's happy to live in it. The Bible says, oh, listen to this prophecy in the book of Psalms. No more complaining in the streets. I like that one. That's a prophecy and a half. No more complaining in the streets. The Bible does say that they'll dance. They'll sing. They'll play in the streets. No more complaining in the streets. Why? Because our King, our Savior... The captain of our salvation is here. He's back. And we get to gather around and admire Him. And in verse number 11, Paul says, Wherefore also, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And, and ye in Him according to the grace of our God.
and the Lord Jesus Christ. What we're looking forward to is magnifying and glorifying the Lord on that wonderful day. But Paul says, we're praying for you guys because we want you to hang in there. When it gets tough, we don't want you to quit. Let that work of faith, let that work of grace keep happening in your lives. One day we'll magnify and glorify the Lord. And then it says in verse 12, and ye in him. Think about this for a moment. There Jesus stands at the throne. Everybody's cheering and clapping and praise the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. The day has finally come. He's here. He's here. Our king is here. Wonderful tell. Great day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy. <laughs> and Sorry, couldn't resist. <laughs> Had to get my groove on. <laughs> What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. But then, then, for those of you that endure the tribulations, that let the problems bring about righteousness in your life, Jesus steps out to that throne and says, You, madam, come. And there the crowd falls silent. And what is he doing? He's calling me forward. He's come. Um, while you were on the earth, it was tough for you. I know, I know everything you went through. I was watching every detail. I prayed for you the whole way. There wasn't one thing that went on in your life that I didn't pray about. Do you know Jesus is praying about that? He is. He says, I prayed for you every step of the way. I know all that you went for me, and you stayed faithful. You confessed me before men, even when it wasn't easy. You didn't deny me, even when they were laughing at you sent you home in tears but you stood up for me and I told you I promise that if you confess me before men I'll confess you before my father which is in heaven come here stands you up and we are glorifying the Lord and now you get to be glorified in him and he says listen I'm not glorifying this person because of just this person this person stood for me so now I'm standing with them enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to this new time. You never have to worry about anybody else laughing at you, treating you wrong. Injustices are done. Problems are over. You never have to hear one more word of complaining in these streets. You're safe. You're home. Oh, the joy that might fill your heart. The hope that... Get that that offers you to get through your problems today. Paul says, guys, I'm praying for you. I know you're going through some tough stuff. Stick with it so that one day you can stand there with the Lord and enjoy that presence, that, that peace that comes with knowing Him. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a few moments. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Say, Brother Mike, I've, I've been going through so much. These problems are just overwhelming me. I'm not quite sure how to handle them. You know where, they, where you start? Go right back to the gospel. Say, Brother Mike, what's been going on with me is not fair people are treating me wrong how about this Jesus died for your sins that wasn't fair 
So if you would like some help with what you're going through, you'll find it in Christ. So if you've never been saved, I'd love to tell you, get saved so you avoid the punishment of the future. I think that's legitimate. But I can tell you that today, if you get saved, it'll help you now. Not just in the future. It'll help you now. It'll make sense out of the problems. And you'll know that these tribulations work for my good. All of us are going through something. We as a church, we'd like to be there for each other. Let's use these tribulations that constantly come up as opportunities to grow in faith and to let our love abound. Let us show you how much we care. Father, thank you this morning for working in our hearts once again. Thank you for the exceeding great and precious promises, especially the one about your son coming coming back. Lord, for the sake of those that aren't saved, we do pray that you'd wait. Wait just long enough so that they can get saved and be spared from that wrath. But Lord, on the behalf of those that are saved, oh Lord Jesus, how long? How long? We pray like the Apostle John, come Lord Jesus. Come. Father, for those that may not be saved here today, please work in their hearts. Let them bring those cares and burdens and problems and lay them down at the cross and find everything they need in you. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.